It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting. In traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This episode of Golf Smarter Mulligans is brought to you by DynamicGolfers.com. Last week, I introduced you to one of the specialty programs that you get once you sign in for Dynamic Golfers, and that's their seven-month strength training videos. But today, I want to let you know that they also have videos to help with injuries. Of course, if you have any type of injury, always consult with your medical professional first. But there are some injuries that are common among golfers. Dynamic golfers' programs are meant to serve as a solution to common nagging pain points that most golfers experience. Each program varies in length, but most are meant to be repeated over time. The routine combines both mobility and strength movements, including working on your thoracic spine for, with uh, postural movements. There is a five-day program that includes videos that are only 10 to 12 minutes each, and focuses on golfer's elbow with stretches for your wrists and shoulders. And lastly, at least at the time that I'm recording this, they offer workouts for both hip and knee pain. And by increasing mobility in the hips, hamstrings, quads, calves, and lower back, you'll be strengthening the hip flexors, hamstrings, quads, glutes, and your core. Interestingly, before I started doing dynamic golfers each day, I was having a lot of pain in my left knee after playing tennis with my son. I played a lot of tennis as a kid, but hadn't played in at least 20 years, and I'm not a runner. So this pain lingered for months, and I thought I surely needed to get a cortisone shot. But before my doctor agreed to do that, she wanted me to see a physical therapist. And after I spoke to the PT, I was given a daily stretch routine to strengthen my glutes. And sure enough... I was pain-free in two weeks. Then I started doing dynamic golfers, and I'm feeling great. So if you want to play better golf, work on the most important tool in your bag, your body. For only $9.99 a month, less than a sleeve of balls, join golfers worldwide that make dynamic golfers part of their daily routine. Go to dynamicgolfers.com slash golfsmarter now to get a seven-day free trial and 15% off your membership when you check out using the coupon code GOLFSMARTER. Again, that's dynamicgolfers.com slash GOLFSMARTER. And remember, to get the discount, enter GOLFSMARTER at checkout. I'll have links on our show notes, and also there's a link right at the homepage at golfsmarter.com. Welcome to Golf Smarter Mulligans. 
your second chance to gain insight and advice from the best instructors featured on the Golf Smarter podcast. Great golf instruction never gets old. Our interview library features hundreds of hours of game improvement conversations like this that are no longer available in any podcast app. My caddy says we've got about 205 to the flag. I get over it and I'm in a complete blank. I can't see anything. And I hit this wild duck hook into the crowd and it hits a man in the shoulder. So I walk over there and this older man has got his shirt rolled up and there's this big golf ball welt. And now the crowd's kind of buzzing and the marshals are saying, people clear back, he's got to hit his next shot. And I take the swing and I hit this wicked skull blade and it goes in the crowd in the grandstand and hits this lady in the leg. <laughs> okay? I'm sorry. So now, Comedy of errors. I don't go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and laugh. Lady. It is pretty funny. So now I'm back in the gallery and the Aussies have been drinking beer all afternoon and I'm getting the comments from the Aussie crowd. Of course, I've got the big Canadian flag on my bag. They know exactly who I am. They're calling my name. And the guys up at the grandstands are saying, are you done yet, mate? <laughs> With another interview from the archives of Golf Smarter, here's your host, Fred Green. Our guest today is John Haim, who played tour golf for six years around the world before realizing what he really could or couldn't accomplish as a professional golfer. We talk a lot about developing your mental game on the Golf Smarter podcast, but John contends that success has more to do with your emotional state to enhance your performance in golf or in business or even in life than we realize. He also has a great yet painful story about his most humbling moment on the tour. Crack me up. His book is called You Are a Contender, using Skype from Canada. Welcome to the Golf Smarter Podcast, John. Thanks, Fred. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for sending me your book, You Are a Contender. I appreciate you give me an opportunity to review it before we had a chance to speak. I, I really wanted to talk to you about um, your experience in tournament golf. Tell me, you know, what level you achieved and what kind of success you had once you got there. Sure. Um, well, I'm a Canadian and I, I grew up, we grew up around golf, my brother and I, because my dad was a, a golf professional. He was a golf professional for 40 years at the same club in Canada, one of the top private clubs called the Ottawa Hunt and Golf Club. And my brother now uh, is one of the top golf instructors in Canada. So we've been around golf our whole life. We played as kids. And it's funny too, Fred, because when we were growing up, it really wasn't cool to play golf. Uh, now it's a bit more cool to play golf because of the emergence of Tiger and, and a number of other factors. But, uh, you know, we, we both played golf through high school. Um, we both showed some promise. I showed some promise, uh, I guess in my 16th or 17th year, I won a bunch of tournaments. In fact, in my, in my 17th year, I won every tournament I played in, in the summer months. So, wow. um, yeah, I attracted, uh, some interest from, uh, some, some universities. Uh, what, there was a number after you won of all those tournaments. Was it then cool to be playing golf? I don't think so. The girls just didn't seem to like me still. So oh, I, yeah. I had to, I had to, I had to push it further. I had to push the envelope, Fred. Oh, but when you said it's not cool, it's because of the girls or because guys were giving you a hard time. Cause I imagine in Canada where everyone's got a hockey stick. Well, exactly. And, and yeah. you're carrying a putter that they're going to give you uh, physically. They could give you a hard time. Well, in high school, it just wasn't at that time in the, in the, you know, the late seventies, early eighties, it just wasn't, 
it wasn't cool for kids to play golf or young people to play golf. If you were, if you grew up at a golf club or your, you know, your parents played, it was kind of cool, but there was relatively no interest, uh, in golf as there is today. I mean, the interest today is, is exponentially more than it was then. So, uh, you know, kids in high school played football, they played basketball and we did some of those things too, but it, we, we focused, we started to focus on golf cause we showed some promise in it. And we thought that maybe there might be a, an end game in this whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so that was great. And I ended up settling on, uh, a school in Indiana called Purdue university. And, uh, and that was great. Went through four years and graduated and, and, uh, and had a great experience and, and had some success in college, won some tournaments in college and, and was all conference uh, in, in a couple of the years. So decided that uh, I was going to turn professional. And I did that in 1986. I went through the Canadian PGA qualifying school and uh, I was fortunate enough to win that and finish, well, finish first in it. So um, my plan was to go and play tournament golf and, and the, the winning the tour school gave me a card to play basically anywhere I wanted except for the PGA Tour and the European Tour. So I kind of carted myself and my golf clubs off to Australia and uh, lived there for about a year, played the tour over there. And then over the course of the next six years, I played uh, tournaments everywhere. I played uh, the Canadian Tour. I played the South African Tour. I played the Asian Tour. I played the Australian Tour again. Uh, you know, I played some satellite circuits in, uh, in the United States and played a lot of golf over the six years, but never truly got to where I wanted to go, which was, uh, obviously everybody's dream, which is the PGA tour in the United States. And, and I went through the qualifying school, got to the second stage and, and after my sixth year, I decided that was it. I, uh, you know, it becomes a financial crunch a little bit too, when you're playing professional golf and there was a bit of a financial crunch for me and, and, uh. Uh, I was just uh, disappointed and uh, down, I guess, that I didn't uh, get to where I wanted to go after that amount of time I thought I could do it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so that was it. So that was, uh, that's my background in golf. Well, and, I'm curious, if, if you don't mind me asking, yeah, in, sure. in the six years that you were touring around different countries, playing in different uh, tours, um, what level of success did you achieve? Well, I had some top five finishes in tour events. I was good enough to do that. I never won a tour event. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of good finishes, but this is where this is where the book comes in, and and this is where a lot of the stuff that I do around performance comes in. I never got close to where I thought I should be. And uh, just a quick story: when I first went to Australia, I played in the first two tournaments over there, and you know what? I played quite well. Uh, I made the cut in both. And uh, and had some success and made a little money and kind of thought to myself, hey, this professional golf thing's a piece of cake, you know. I'm gonna <laughs> no problem. So easy, it, squeezy. Oh, this is easy. <laughs> yeah, the scary. That's a bad word. Easy. Don't ever say that. So then the the third tournament was totally different in that we moved to the big city. We moved to Melbourne. Uh, Greg Norman, who was the number one player in the world, showed up at this particular tournament, and everything changed. The dynamic. Of, of everything on the tour change because, you know, Norman was the guy. He was the savior in Australia. He was the best in the world. He was charismatic. He was just, he was really something. The first time I stood next to him, I couldn't believe it. I mean, he looked like uh, some sort of a god or something, you know? So, yeah, and I, I, the first couple of rounds of that tournament, I played that's, very well. Yeah, I, I, that's got to be so intimidating and have such an impact on your game. 
Oh, for, for a young person, especially Fred, it's, it's crazy, especially, you know, you, we, I drove in in my 1970 Toyota Corolla and Greg Norman flew in in a helicopter and landed right <laughs> beside the first tee. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can tell. So what, but it, it was okay because, you know, the, I was, I was very nervous the first couple of rounds, but, uh, Norman was kind of playing at the other end of the draw and I could kind of go about my business a little bit and, and, you know, I, we shot, we shot one, the same score or one off from each other after two rounds. So the third round I go out there and there's people everywhere, Fred. It's just, it's chock-a-block. I swear half the city of Melbourne was out watching. They, they predicted 30 to 40,000 people. So I'm going from, you know, a tournament that has 500 people now to nothing I've seen before with, with 40,000 people. So I get out there and I go into the locker room and I change my shoes and my, my hands are shaking tying my shoes. So that can, that can tell you how nervous I was. And then I went out to the driving range and uh, wasn't real focused because I was practicing two down from Norman. So I, I was spending more time watching him. And I got up on the first tee and, and uh, didn't hit a very good tee shot and started off, started off not very well. And, and Greg was playing right behind me in the group behind me. And, and, you know, this is where this whole idea that we can talk about here, the whole idea of emotions and what emotions can do to you. And my emotions were knocking me all over the place on the golf course. And I got around and I was about uh, you know, four or five over par, I think, coming to not very good because I throw all the shots that I had picked up in the first two rounds. I had given all back already in the third round. So I get to the last hole and it's about a 440-yard par 4, and there's people lying 10 deep down both sides right to the grandstand behind the green at the end of the hole. And uh, I get up on the tee, and I'm just I'm beside myself nervous because I can see how many people there are. And it's like I almost close my eyes, but I hit this great tee shot off the tee, smoked it right down the middle. It was into a little breeze. And we get down there, and, and we're waiting for the green to clear. And by this time, Norman has come up on the tee, and he's waiting for me to hit my shot. And it, the, I can see the blonde hair flowing in the wind, you know, and, and everybody's buzzing because no one, gives, no one gives a hoot about what I do on the hole. They're waiting for him. So my caddy, I say to my caddy, I say, we've got, uh, my caddy says we've got about 200, 205 to the flag. And it's into a little breeze. You're a bit pumped up. So I said, what do you think about a three iron? He said, yeah, I think that's the one. I think you should hit the three. So I get over, the, I get over it, and I'm in a complete blank. My mind's blank. I can't see anything. And I hit this wild duck hook into the crowd. Okay? And it goes into the crowd, and it hits a man in the shoulder, <laughs> oh. this older man. So I walk over there, and this older man has got his shirt rolled up, and there's this big golf ball welt on his shoulder. Okay. And, and now the crowd's kind of buzzing and, and the, the marshals are saying, Oh, people clear back, clear, clear back. He's got to hit his next shot. And I've got not that hard of a shot into the green. I mean, it's a, it's a shot I've hit a million times. It's about 60 yards to the flag. And I take a couple of practice swings. I try to make myself look good, you know, in front of all the people and everything. And again, I'm not focused on the shot at all. And I take the swing and I, and I hit this wicked skull blade and it goes in the crowd in the grandstand and hits this lady in the leg. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. So now, Comedy of errors. I don't go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. And laugh. It, is, it is pretty funny. So now I'm back in the gallery and the Aussies have had 
been drinking beer all afternoon and I'm getting the I'm getting the comments right from the from the Aussie crowd. Go go back to Canada. Of course, I've got the big Canadian flag on my bag. They know exactly who I am. They're calling my name. Um, and the, the guys up at the top at the grandstands are saying, are you done yet, mate? And, you know, and now. Yeah. So now I've got to drop a ball. Now I've got to drop a ball at the edge of the, you know, back away from the green, just off the edge of the green. I've got about 100 feet down to the flag. The flag's on the front left. And is is Greg Norman's presence just looming over you at this point? Oh, yeah. Well, he's Among walking up other the fairway. Things? Yeah, he's walking up the fairway to his to his next shot. And, and, you know, people are just thinking to themselves, get this guy out of here. We just want to see Greg hit the next shot. So. I have this. Oh no! You are so much more entertaining because he's going to hit the ball, put it in the middle of the fairway, put the ball on the green, one maybe two putt, and he's gone. Right? You're entertaining. This is fun, especially for for a drunk crowd. Yeah, for the the guys drinking beer, I guess I was pretty entertaining. So then I I go to hit the next shot. It's an easy shot. All I have to do is get it rolling on the green. It'll roll down the flag somewhere, and I hit about six inches behind it, and I flub it about a foot. And now I got to hit the same shot, and I, I I sort of fluffed it a bit again, and then hit it too far, almost over the green, and oh and God. took two or three putts, and ended up making an eight or a nine on on a par four on the last oh. hole, and embarrassing myself to oh. absolutely no end. So just went down and sat in a, you know, after I signed my scorecard, sat in a little ball of depression, trying to figure out just what happened, you know. Probably and, one of those portable urinals, right? The portable toilets. <laughs> That's where I should have been, so no one could laugh at me on the way by. There's that guy. He just made nine on 18. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When I look back on my career, my, my career was quite inconsistent in that some weeks I was okay and other weeks I wasn't okay. I, sure. I, I, I let golf. the emotion. Yeah, that's, that's golf, but it's also, um, I always, not always, but many times I let the emotions, mm-hmm. my emotions inside of me uh, get the best of me. And uh, when you're performing, you just cannot, cannot do that. You have to be in control. Sure, and sure. Uh, that's, now, did, that's did Greg yeah. Norman? Did you have any contact with him after the round? After he finished eighteen, yeah, he kicked sand in my face. Right no, after. come on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what a class oh, act! <laughs> but you know what? I, I did play with him uh, on two occasions. I played with him like as as the tour went on. I played with him uh, in a real round, and I played with him in a practice round. And it was a little bit better, but it was still 
I was still very, very uncomfortable. In the practice round, not so much. In the real round, uh, when the pressure was on, uh, very uncomfortable. Did either of you bring up that moment? Did, did, when, when no. You, the other time? <laughs> no way. No, because you know what, Fred? When I, when I think about it, at that time, I didn't really realize how 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 bad it was and when i reflect on it and and you know talk about and and think about what really happened in my career you know and why i didn't get to where i wanted to go you know a very very big part of it was because of what i'm just talking about you know i i you know this whole concept of self awareness i didn't really know uh I, I, you know there was so many things i didn't know about myself i i and i my dad was always my coach. I was away from home. I really didn't have a coach. You know, I wasn't sure what to really practice. I didn't have a great plan. Uh, I didn't really have any defined goals. It was just take your clubs and go and see how you could do. And I, I, I think that's with a lot of the top performers, certainly, that I work with. It, it's funny because I work with these people and I sit down with them and, and, you know, they open up their desk and out they pull out all their goals. They're all written down. So, you know, I never had that. I didn't know how these emotions were, were impacting me. I didn't know what they were, what, emotion, what the emotions were, so I couldn't do anything about it. And all these little pieces that uh, kind of separate, uh, you know, the really top people from the, from the average guys, like I ended up being in professional golf, uh, these are all little pieces that I didn't have. And they're all related to, if you want to call them the mental game, yes, uh, emotional game, whatever you want to call it, it's all blended together. So um, I need to go back for, for one little thing that you slipped in there <laughs> yep. while you were describing that blow-up hole on 18. And you, you were saying before you hit that second shot that went errant and hit the uh, old man in the shoulder, you said, my mind was blank. That intrigues me because so often I speak to mental coaches that say, you can't have things going on. You've got you to gotta clear your head before you step up to the ball and not be thinking about all these different shot thoughts. And when you say your mind was blank, you mean like you just even you looked at the ball and had no idea you, what you were supposed to do. What did that mean? Yeah, exactly. It was almost like I forgot what I was supposed to do. It's okay. like, you know, you know, it was really funny, Fred, when I got up on the first tee that particular day. OK, I realized how many people were watching me on the first tee. There was a grandstand and then people were lined up waiting for Norman on the first hole. So they were lined up almost right down to the green. And my first thought, my major uh, primary thought when I got up on the tee to hit that ball was don't miss it. Now, I've played, oh. profe- I've played golf since I was five years old. How, I've hit have a you, million golf balls. Right. Have you ever missed a golf ball in that time? Never. Right. Never. <laughs> and that's, that's what came into your head? Yeah, and that's where the fear and, and you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're letting all these outside influences impact you. And, sure. and that's exactly what happens. Instead of just standing up and saying, I've done this a million times, just smoke it down the middle. Um, that didn't happen. Instead, I get up there. I'm looking around. There's people everywhere. I'm looking. I'm saying, geez, just don't blow it here. Just, you know, and I'm sure this happens to a lot of people. I mean, I know it happens to a lot of people because I talk to people about it every day. They get up on the first tee. Their buddies are watching and they're thinking, just don't miss the ball or don't hit your normal slice or, you know, whatever the whatever the uh, the, the negative approach is. Instead of getting up there and saying uh, the people watching the the weather, uh, any of these influences around here have no impact on what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do what I can control and, and hit the golf ball the bet to the best of my ability. So, 
you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing. And it, it ha- believe me, this stuff happens at all levels. It happens to, you, you see, like, for example, you saw Kenny Perry this year in the Masters tournament. Mm. And you saw him play, you know, 70 perfect holes almost. And then when the pressure really started to mount, and he, th- he thought about what was going to happen to him if he won that event. And a lot of stuff rushed back to him. And this is stuff buried in your emotional memory. In 96, he had a very, he had a very good chance to win the PGA Championship. And he bogeyed the last hole, which was a par five, to end up losing the event. And I'm telling you, these things come back. Uh, these things come back to you. If you don't deal with them and you don't clean them out and clear them out, they will come back to you. Sure. Well, there was moments, uh, other moments in the 2009 tour that seemed to, to, to bring that up. Uh, and possibly, you know, we can only speculate, of course, but Tom Watson on the, the final putt of the, uh, the Open Championship. Yes, and, and you know what? That's that. That's a good point. You know, Tom Watson. He was a, a fantastic putter when he was a younger guy. In fact, he was he was he was unbeatable uh, when he he was the Player of the Year. I don't know how many times on the PGA Tour because he was such a fantastic putter and could really close the deal. But then it sort of became his Achilles' heel a little bit mm. um, as he got older. So perhaps, yep, that that's a a very good possibility that. You know, he had about ten or twelve feet to win the British Open, and uh, you saw it was a it it wasn't a very good attempt at all. Well, what uh, I'd like to talk about is, and and I think this is your focus of of, of teaching, um, and uh, is the emotional element of the game. We talk about the mental side of the game a lot, but we really don't focus much on the emotional side and and what kind of impact that has on your your psyche and your round of golf. And as a matter of fact, it's so crazy that I got a, an email just this past week from, I'm, this is really his name, from Tom Jones. Uh, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's not unusual to me. Um, uh, and he, <laughs> and he's not writing, unusual to be emotional. That's right. And he's writing from Woodstock, Maryland. Um, but his, his question is, are there any mental exercises that can be practiced at the range or indoors to help avoid or overcome blow-up holes? Overcome blow-up holes. Well, the, the yeah. inconsistency, the inconsistency is, is often a result. I know for, in, in, for me, uh, when I was playing professional golf, the inconsistency, I thought, or I, I, I know, was a result of me not having a control or a management or a direction, uh, uh, certainly, of my emotions. And, and you know what's really interesting? It comes all back to the emotional part. I, I think so. You know, it's really interesting, Fred, that uh, I think a lot of people uh, don't know is that um, emotions trump thoughts, meaning that emotions shape your thinking. Uh, when I draw this little performance uh, line or performance grid, you know, you start with emotions, then you go to cognitive or thinking, then you go to behavior, then you go to performance. So the outcome is your performance, and at the very beginning, certainly is the, is the emotions, and the emotions trump and shape your thinking. So if you've got, you know, people ask me a lot of times in my workshops, etc., you know, I'm, how do I stop negative thinking? You know, I say to them, well, it, it's not quite as easy as popping a negative thought in your mind, like think positively or, or you're great or you're the best. Um, that, that does, 
in my in my experience anyway, does absolutely nothing. Which yeah, it's almost really... like the emperor wears no clothes. Right. You're great. Right. You're great. You're you you're are great. so good. You are so good. You are so great. You're a miserable wreck. You are awful. <laughs> you you suck. You can't, it's like, no, no, you're great. You're great. No, I'm no, really you're great. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the little guy on your shoulder. <laughs> exactly. On either side of your head. But you really have to understand, uh, you know, your emotions, your, your emotional memory, your history, all those things. Because when you get in a situation where you're under pressure and it's always under pressure where things get ugly. Well, you know, you if you go to the Masters tournament or you go to any major championship, you watch the pros practice and, and you, you, you go to the practice rounds like every year. Normally, I take a group to it's a leadership team i take them to the 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 masters tournament and we stay monday and tuesday and then we leave on wednesday just to watch the practice rounds and to have a little session with their team you know it's really interesting we we go out and we watch these guys we watch them putt we watch them chip we watch them hit balls we watch them on the course we watch them learn the golf course we watch them talk everybody's relaxed everybody looks great everybody is is at their best you know normally guys are peaking for the major championships so typically everybody looks pretty great i always ask my group to pick who they think is going to win the tournament uh and and then we get together on a phone call on sunday and chat a little bit about it after the tournament and just laugh about how far away we are from actually picking the winner and you know you can't tell from the the, the visual the talent how how a guy is playing typically um, you know, on the in the practice round days, you can't tell because the pressure becomes so intensified at, from a, when it goes from Thursday to Friday to Saturday, and then finally Sunday. There's very few guys who can really, you know, get it together and close the deal when the pressure intensifies and the distractions are at the peak on Sunday. And uh, and that's the sad reality and the tragedy for many athletes is is some have this tremendous talent and are great, but you know when it doesn't really count, but when it does really count, they, uh, they struggle. And, uh, it's a good example. This master's thing is a very good example because we're never close to picking the winner. You know, you know, you know, typically we leave Tiger Woods out and mm -hmm. we pick other, we pick other players, but you know, you'll see Ernie Els and he'll look, wow, look at Ernie Els. He looks amazing. There's no way he can't do well in this tournament. Right. And then you'll see him at the end on, on Sunday, you'll see, 37th place or something, you know? Well, you know, there are people, and I think that men have been accused by women of this for a long time, is that we can compartmentalize our emotions. We can just shove it aside and, and you know, just not deal with it right now, where women, no. their emotions are all over. They have, it controls them in many ways, and I'm Really sorry if I'm offending anybody when I say this. This is my own personal experience now. But, you know, that emotions can, can take over a lot of different things where men are able to just like, okay, wait, I, I don't need to deal with that right now, so I'm not going to. Um, but on the golf course, there are so many different things going on in your head and on your body um, that your emotions, and, and again, we don't talk about it as emotions, but they really do can have a tremendous impact on what happens during the round. Huge. Absolutely huge. Oh, uh, fascinating. You know, strong, strong negative emotion 
can decide whether you're going to be, and that's the whole idea of the book, whether you're a, a contender or a pretender in, in, in any kind of performance. You know, it's interesting, Fred, because this whole Tiger Woods thing, you know, Tiger Woods, the last, probably the last two to three years, has had a tremendous amount of emotional turmoil in his life and things he's had to deal with. Uh, the death of his father, getting married, the, the whole emotional, uh, you know, turmoil of getting married, uh, you know, having kids, having basically the PGA Tour on his shoulders every week, you know, and it become it be, that whole burden becomes greater and greater, I think. So, who's I really think. Oh, he's some guy. He's a pretty good <laughs> I've never player. never heard of him before. I'll send you his bio. I'll send you his major championship bio. It's called encyclopedia bio. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> you know, you can see over the past two or three years on the golf course that Tiger Woods has become angrier and angrier. And you could see in Australia that one little incident in Australia really uh, showcases and highlights outside of all the, you know, all the uh, swearing on the course and, and, you know, he, he, he really gets angry sometimes on the golf course. But in Australia, he, he, he kind of threw his club down and went into the crowd and hit somebody. And, some, and they passed his club back. And he just went over and picked up his club like nothing ever happened. Didn't look in and see that it hit a kid, you know. Didn't do anything. Just kind of moved forward. And, 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 and these sorts of indicators to me are the, are, are really show that Tiger really hasn't dealt with a lot of this emotional stuff that's gone on in his life and it's impacting his performance. Mm. Now you can say that you can say that Tiger did have a great year last year and by anyone's standards he did. He won golf tournaments but he didn't win any major championships and that anger factor especially in the major championships that frustration, the anger, these things that are coming out because I believe he hasn't dealt with a lot of this these other things on the other side. And when he does deal with those things, I think uh, it'll free him up a little bit. And, uh, and he'll not only perform better, but he'll enjoy it more, too. That's really so. interesting because, you know, there's been speculation, you know, where's Tiger? Where's Tiger? Uh, yeah. And some have said maybe that he's in a, a rehab program for sex addiction. Maybe, in fact, he's in a program to help his emotional state. Well, I hope he is, and I hope he he doesn't think that uh, he's beyond that because he's a human being, and everybody needs that. We're all emotional beings. We're driven by our emotions, and you have to deal with these things. That's like in the book, I, I ask people to do an emotional inventory and write down all their big negative experiences and all their, their big positive experiences and, 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 you know, work on that a little bit because if you're – if you're a top performer, you're an elite athlete, or you're, or or whatever it is in your life, it doesn't matter. We're talking about golf today, but it could be anything. When things get a little hot, uh, when the heat's turned up, when the pressure's turned up, this is going to come out. So you really need to deal with it. You know what's really interesting too, Fred? We we assess people in emotional intelligence. So we assess. We've assessed thousands of people at conferences, uh, my workshops, golfers, everybody. And the average person, out of, out of all the people we have, we've assessed, eight out of ten people do not have an adequate level of self-awareness. Eight out of ten, if you can believe it. Wow. Meaning that people don't really understand how their emotions impact them. And uh, unless you do, I, I think it's, uh, you're going to have difficulty, certainly on the thinking side, 
And uh, and that goes right into behavior. You see Tiger's behavior that we just talked about, and you talk. You can you can. There's so many other examples, and then it, it goes right into the performance. So it's that that chain of performance there, and and like I said, it it really it really starts with back at the emotions and the fact that a lot of people don't recognize those emotions. Um, and uh, you know, there's a lot of other attachment to self awareness too. Your values, your goals. Um, you know, expectations, a lot of things tied in there that we work with people on, but uh, uh, it's a big area for sure. Well, it's amazing, and I think that that is what the Golf Smarter team members are all going to be interested in is how to um, fine-tune their emotional toolbox um, and, and figure out ways to, you know, as Tom was asking, we don't have obviously a specific mental exercise to avoid those blow-up holes, but it's, a, it's an entire, well, listen, there's a book, and, and John uh, wrote this book. It's on Amazon. Actually, we're going to have this book available in our Golfer's Mart of GolfSmarter.com. It's called You Are a Contender, and it's written by John Haim. Really interesting stuff. John, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, give us a, a, a couple of websites or one website you'd like to share with us that everyone should go check out. Sure, Fred. And just to just to uh, take off a little bit on what you were just talking about, in the book, we've developed some tools for some people, emotional spiral, emotional inventory, and emotional caddy that can kind of help you uh, deal with your experiences in a better way. And in the book, we also talk about, or I also talk about, I guess I wrote it, so I shouldn't say we, but um, <laughs> I wrote the book. So uh, blame it on somebody I, I, yeah, exactly. So I, I talk about, uh, you know, the differences between contenders and pretenders and what, what pretenders do and what contenders do and what the significant differences are. But yeah, I love I think that what, part. I love yeah, that part. I think what makes the book fun is that we do have solutions for people and some tools that yeah. they can kind of grab onto. And, and, uh, and that's what I was trying to do. And Fred, you do a great job on this podcast. Oh, I just want to say that. Oh, John, that's very nice of you, but unnecessary. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, it's, uh, you're good at what you do, and uh, the time goes quickly, so that means that, uh, that I'm enjoying it, so it's great. Well, I hope, it, I hope the audience feels the same way. <laughs> yes, yes, me too. <laughs> Perfect. John Haim, thanks so much. Uh, you are a contender. And you know what crosses cool. my mind when you bring that up is if that, uh, any – any uh, golfer out there, any listener out there has, say, teenage children that are athletes. Um, oh, this is huge. Uh, yeah, is I got to believe if there's a way that you can communicate, because I know how tough it is with teenagers, but if you can communicate with your teen to uh, expose them to something like this, if they're having, again, if they're athletes and they're having issues with their emotions getting in the way of their performance, and who hasn't seen a teenage athlete let their emotions get in their way, uh, this may be a way to give them a tool to work on on their own so they don't have to do it with you, that they can maybe realize for themselves how valuable a tool this could be for them. You know what? And if you can, if you can introduce it now to, to a young person, sure. it's going to help them so much down the road. So they'll learn, you know, they'll learn it through the game of golf, but it's going to be vital to them in everything they do because I work with MBAs, et cetera, too, and they have great technical skills. But often this is the piece that they're missing to be very, very successful. So it's, uh, it's a very useful thing to know how to do. 